You are listening to a discussion born in the Christian ghetto. And uh, we're getting together today um, here in the ghetto to talk about the ongoing border crisis in Texas and um, the recent developments, especially with um, the Supreme Court decision and then other um, U.S. states, governors, uh, pledging their support for Greg Abbott and to try to maybe decipher some of the tea leaves and what it might mean. Um, so, yeah, go ahead, Black. So why don't we start this off by uh, bringing our listeners up to date with what what's happened since our, our last podcast. So when we last spoke about this as a group, um, Abbott had sent the Texas Guard to the border uh, to and what he ended up using the guard to do is in place physical barriers, razor wire, different stuff to deter migrants coming over Eagle Pass. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, ruled on a proposed injunction from the federal government to stop them doing it. Um, so the Supreme Court uh, instructed the Texas Guard uh, that they that pending a ruling for the Supreme Court, so not a this is not a final ruling, this is an injunction, they should stop placing razor wire and they should allow CBP to uh, take operational control of the border crossing. Um, Greg Abbott then invoked the element of, well, the element of constitutional made the argument that his actions were not um were justified on the, so he he declared the situation an invasion and invoked the element of the constitution that permits uh, military action by states in the event of an invasion um which is a a very significantly different legal argument than the legal argument which the supreme court has ruled on an injunction on uh and then Subsequent to that, you've had a coalition of a number of states, and and Tuna, if you can uh, pull up the list here, yes, uh, that have written a joint letter in support of Texas's actions, and many of them have sent guardsmen to assist Texas in securing the border. Yeah, so the list of people who joined, obviously Texas was first, um, and the first couple of states that backed them up immediately, I know Florida was among them. Um, I think I think the other one that was really quick to support Texas was South Dakota, and it took a while to find an updated map because all throughout yesterday at different points in time, pretty much every red state governor in the country had to issue some kind of state on it, statement on it, and the only ones who have kind of backed off are ones who are not actual, you know, right wingers, uh, for lack of a better term, or people who just kind of have a tense situation right now. But the full list, um, just going from west to east, is Alaska, Nevada, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Utah, North and South Dakota, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, obviously, Iowa, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida. Uh, Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia, and Virginia, and then additionally, I believe New Hampshire joined uh, towards the end yesterday. And just as a summary here, some of those states have sent material support. Most of those states have simply issued statements or signed this joint letter uh, approving of the, the action. Those states represent a minority of U.S. population, uh, but a very significant minority, something on the order of like 35, 40%. And, uh, you know, certainly not just, not just a, a large portion of population, but a large portion of, of economic power within the country. And, and geographically, it basically, when you look at the map, you have the Northeast remains, um, you know, firmly Democrat and, and in support of the regime. And then the West and like the very Southwest, so you know the the, the three states along the the, the Pacific Ocean, yeah, and then the I coastal think, West, like, and then Arizona, Nevada, and, and um, Colorado. Mexico, Colorado. Which yeah, and those states in there, and then there's a one or two Democrat states, like Kentucky or one the in in the heartland. But it's basically it, it's a it cuts the state all the way from the Canadian border all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico and then out to the Atlantic coast 
along Florida. Uh, North Carolina is a significant um, omission there as well, too. And then another critical element of this is it's not all the border states who have signed. So New, New Mexico has a significant southern bo- mm-hmm. element of the southern border. I think there's there's one other Arizona also mm-hmm. has a significant element of the southern border. So it's yes. not all the border states. It's not not all the states that are suffering the consequences of the border or, uh, crisis. It's a division on the basis of the governors that these states have mm-hmm. and the political alignment of those governors, not on the basis of exposure to the particular problem. So, no, but it's you know <clears throat> when you when you look at at least the news reports that do manage to leak out, many of them are showing the intensification along the Texas border, you know, which leads to the the what, conspiracy, yeah. the theories that this is being directed intentionally at Texas. Well, certainly, a, Eagle, certainly Eagle Pass and the Texas border has had a larger scale problem than some of the other border states. Uh, but it's not as though there's not a big problem in Arizona right now um, with with illegal crossings. They've just chosen not to address it in this way and not to support Texas's choice to to address it in this way. So there's a political element here in in the decision making, rather than um, a resp- like this is not the equivalent of a hurricane response. This is a different. There's a different uh, element at play here, and that's worth worth driving home. Yeah, and it, it seems the the appearance is, you know, and it's sometimes hard because the reporting on this has gotten very, very sketchy. Like you go into mainstream media reports and there's almost nothing there. Like yeah, nobody's so this is, reporting on it. This is a really big element of what's happened here. So we have this event that has occurred. Uh, the Biden administration, to my knowledge, has made no statement about it. Is, is that correct, Tuna? As far as I know, too. That's right. I have not seen any, but I did see at the end of yesterday, there was something coming out that the Biden administration issued a 24-hour ultimatum, and it was just like a breaking news report. I didn't see any linked and thing, document some... from the government, but they basically said to Abbott, you have 24 hours to back down on this, or we're going to do something, which not clear what that is. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking across kind of regime media, everyone from the Wall Street Journal to the New York Times the lead headlines are Israel Gaza and like Trump campaign and, you know, just regular news. This is completely irrelevant in uh, the mainstream news uh, discourse. So I think those are kind of the facts of what's happened. Um, Now let's talk about what we think uh, the implications of of that constellation of facts are. Um, So, does someone want to kick us off here? Well, yeah, it's um, the question is, is that so much is unknown, right? It's, you know, even um, Eric Prince this morning and a couple of others have 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 sent out, you know, Twitter messages basically saying, come and take the, the razor, you know, come and cut it, come and take the razor wire away. So there is this sense that that from the Texas side of the messaging that they're going to stand their ground and to that they're that they have the initiative in that sense and that they're going to make the federal government react to their position so now the ball is in the federal government's court and the the lawfare stuff looks like it's just simply going to be ignored the abbott um, administration seems intent on expanding this policy, laying out more razor wire, slowing down the stem of people crossing the border, um, removing federal um, um, ICE employees um, along the border, and just basically daring the federal government to come in and and stop them. And so the, the question then becomes, as we talked about in the last episode, is the federal government prepared to use some measure of force to you know whether it actually ends up being bullets flying or whatever they just go down there and you know arrest people and yeah it but, looks as though they they would have to take some kind of kinetic action that's in right order, in order to get a result at least to get a result in the short term yeah or do they start doing like quote unquote ops where they're like you know 
in the middle of the night, the Biden administration is coming in and removing razor wire that the Abbott administration is laying down during the day, this type of nonsense, right? Yeah, you would have to have some kind of, to get a result, you'd have to have some kind of physical action. Whereas, you know, in the longer term, maybe that's not true. But in the short term, uh, there's the, the Biden administration has the choice as to whether they want to uh, physically interfere and 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 create a confrontation that way. And one of the conclusions that I would take from the fact that kind of regime media is completely ignoring the story is that I don't believe the Biden administration actually wants that confrontation right now. If they wanted that confrontation, I would assume that all over the front pages of all of their mouthpieces, you would see stuff about how Greg Abbott is, you know, an evil traitor and whatever, right? There has been some measure from the Twitterati to, to, you know, paint Trump as the one pushing Abbott to be doing this too as yeah, well, which it little... doesn't, seems to be falling in its face. Yeah, well, especially because Trump, it was pretty late to the party. Um, That's right. To, to announce it and pretty muted in his, this is very clearly a state-led effort. This is not a Trump-led effort. And the optics have kind of borne that out all the way down. Um, so that that's interesting as well. Well, and it, it gets down to, um, you know, the different scenarios that people have played about over the last couple of years of, you know, how does it all come apart, right? And, you know, there was those, you know, the mocking statements from Biden from the pulpit, you know, where he's he's talking about, well, you know, I've got F-15s and nukes and like, what are you guys going to do with your guns anyways, right? And so we had, you know, many had kind of pictured this sort of band of brothers, partisan guerrilla warfare um, type situation, which always on the face of it, you know, might have made a good movie script, um, but really probably wasn't practical. But the more realistic thing is when you saw, you know, initially say um, Ron DeSantis defying the federal government with, you know, COVID restrictions, that that was far more the likely path to um, some Whatever's sort of... next in U.S. politics. That's right. So some sort of... So, you know, do the state, the U.S. states start trying to claim the kind of sovereignty, say, that that Canadian provinces have over many of their affairs, where they can just tell the government to just, you know, um, for to impolite to just basically piss off, we're going to do our own thing over here, and um, it, but and so the the states have allowed themselves to become beholden to the federal government by taking money for initiatives, and the federal government has desire to um, to continually expand with the Fourteenth Amendment, have to continually expand federal powers into ever increasingly more and more areas. And they've done that by leveraging the tax purse and yeah. then integrating, um, you know, federal structures into state structures, right? So everything, well, you know, from Medicare that, to health to, to education and so forth is all federalized in many ways. Well, the other thing that's fascinating, if you look at the red-coated outlets, so I, I'm looking at, like, what the daily wires of the world are saying. They're all making the argument that this is not a constitutional crisis that uh, that Abbott is not defying the Supreme Court, that actually this is part of politics as usual, and uh, you know Texas is acting within its appropriate rights, which looking at it outside of the sort of legal legal context and looking at it kind of as a historical event, that seems like nonsense. But what it signals is that the red-coated elite want this confrontation to be politically contained within the existing governing structure of the United States and are not seeking to they're seeking reform to that political structure they're not seeking uh, to have a confrontation over its existence or have a confrontation over their sovereignty over it yeah um, one thing one thing that we didn't talk about is that the the issue like Elon Musk and Trump both came in and like Musk two days ago, replying to Abbott said, Texas is absolutely right. This administration is deliberately breaking the law by aiding and abetting illegal immigration at, unpre at an unprecedented scale. And one of the things we're, we, a lot of people have pointed out is that 
some of these red states that have signed on with Texas are have governors who, you know, they kind of gave in on the election or on trans kids or something. They're like, they're not actual right wingers, but basically because Musk two days ago and Trump yesterday, both coming out in support of Abbott, it's like made it a safe issue, which probably has a lot to do with like the con Inc framing of this is just business as usual. Well, I I also think like if you imagine that uh, instead of governor Abbott, you had uh, governor Haywood or something down there, um, (laughs) You would you would have this framed as a, a direct constant confrontation over sovereignty, whereas the media message that the abbots of the world from the outlets that the abbots of the world have influence over is no, this is not a direct confrontation over sovereignty. This is Biden administration not doing their job. You know, maybe we want twenty percent more independence as, as states to to act, um, but definitely that's because we've got a blue president. It, president at the helm and and so like it's an incrementalist reform kind of message for what their demands are rather than a direct contest for sovereignty and i i think it's you know well worth understanding uh where that puts this this situation but it it, it's also interesting black horse that you know when you look at the broader scope of history right that that transition in in rome for instance from the Republican phase to the imperial phase, that in the course of that transition, there were all of these efforts to maintain the veneer of the Republican structures while it was being run by an imperium. So, And by the I, same I, token, I, like 400 years after Rome fell, European kings still were declaring themselves Roman Empire, emperor. That's exactly it. Yeah, and and so here you have, in a sense, to to look at it, that the forms of constitutionality will be clung to. So even though everybody realizes that, um, you know, the the, the Constitution really doesn't exercise meaningful control over things, it's it's made, whatever wants to be done is made to be legal. Um, And but you have to maintain the forms, right? And you have to maintain the perception that you are, you know, trying to save the Republic or save the existing order, that you're not actually trying to break the order up. And so the governors have to walk a very fine line, but, you know, people, people have said that made the criticism, well, I don't trust Abbott because he's been so squish in the past. Right. And like, well, um, Abbott is also a politician and has been reading tea leaves and understands that if they don't act now, um, the Texas as a Republican state, this may be the last shot at it, right? So, um, you know, other Republican governors are also reading the tea leaves of their electorates in an election year and are realizing that, you know, they like, they know which way the wind blows, right? So, um, yeah, if I they, think the overwhelming lesson from the messaging out of Con Inc. is that this is politics as usual in an election cycle. This is not, um, or at least they perceive it to be politics as usual in an election cycle, an issue they can beat Biden on, not uh, direct const- uh, confrontation. But to your point, that's how a lot of the forces that ultimately dissolve imperiums think of themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. Um, so just because that's how they think of themselves doesn't mean that's how this is going to turn out. Yeah. And then like, the thing is, is that once you open Pandora's box, you know, um, what spills out of it. Right. And that's really, you know, you don't really know what spills out of Pandora's box until you actually open it. And, you know, Greg Abbott has opened that box and he's, he's forced a pressure point And now a great swath geographically and what about 40% of the population and a significant amount of the industrial base and the resource base of the United States geographically has said, um, we're sick and tired of watching immigrants stream over the Southern border and we want something to be done about it. And the, the regime has basically gone with the understanding that they can allow unlimited um, immigration indefinitely and nobody will do anything about it. And I'm not sure that they were really prepared for this. And the silence from the regime and the regime media says that they have no idea how to respond to it messaging wise. They're even less prepared than 
they were with the whole groomer thing, um, because even there they had some they had at least some messaging to press back on. Here, there's nothing. Like they're not pushing yeah. back at all. Well, the fascinating. I was kind of trying to place this in historical context because you get all this hyperbole about how like totally unprecedented the crisis at the southern border is, but in actual fact, this kind of all happened before, right? So if you look at the period between 1970 and 2000, you have between the, the there are two peaks of illegal migration prior to this peak that occurred in 1980 and in 2000, uh, where you peaked at 1.6 million migrants, illegal migrants a year crossing the southern border. Um, at least that's the kind of official figure. Now we're looking at like 2 million, but the population of the U.S. is also considerably larger now than it was in 1980. Um, so on a per capita basis, they kind of did this before and they ran the play for like 25 years and nobody successfully pushed back. They even got amnesty in that cycle. So they they, they got the Reagan am amnesty. They got... Uh, they ran out the clock on birthright citizenship. They completely transformed California demographically and not one person did anything besides polit besides kind of whine about it in the media. Um, that's, and they, part, that's part because the American right like was still so captured to the neocon way of thinking. I mean, literally the only people warning against this were the paleocons and Sam Francis and Pat Buchanan and they were and totally shut out of power. Exactly. And maybe one or two libertarians. So in total, like actual political figures in the public eye, there were probably less than 10 who were against it, which is why no one has any context for what happened in the past. And oh, I, like what I think, what I think is given that, that context, I think the regime is genuinely flat footed about what to do because, mm -hmm. you know, they completely got away with this the, the last time they did it. Uh, in their mind, why should they not completely get away with it this time? Well, yeah, because, it, and I mean, it's sort of the open, dirty secret is that um, mass immigration has been, uh, as I said, an unholy alliance between the, the left that wants voters, right? So you, you, you bring in immigrants. It's, it's, it's a similar dynamic in Europe and Canada um, that... The, the people who are coming into the country are grateful and beholden to the liberal government. Um, they tend to become more conservative over time, but not guaranteed. But so the idea is if, where they if come keep, from and, and their that's experience, right? right? So the, if you keep them flooding in, they're grateful to as a client to the people who brought them in. So they, they vote that way. But on the other half has been, you know, the the, um, the leadership class of the conservative side is grateful to the regime for delivering cheap labor. That's exactly it. So the what is it the the the, the whatever the something of commerce um, chamber of commerce yeah chamber of commerce that's it. And so that that type of crowd that is looking for for cheap labor, you know, the whole like Americans won't do this job kind of stuff. You know, well, yeah, no, yeah, Americans won't do it for third world wages, but. You know these 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 types of things, and so um, you. But it, you... it appears that that uh, like the it's very clear that the Chamber of Commerce Republicans have lost control of the party, exactly, um, or yes. at least substantially lost control of the party. And without that control, there's no mechanism for the regime to respond to 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 an attack like this. That's right. The unholy alliance is broken because the Republican side of it no longer has the power to make it. People have begun to figure out the the, the wage arbitrage um, game of offshoring and and bringing in immigrants to undercut wages. And you know, once that jig was up, um, you know, it, it's it's very interesting to look back. Um, you know, just less than a decade, even when when Bernie was uh, rising. Yeah. Um, you know, as the webs, as the as the dissident space first began, a lot of it was driven by like Bernie bros and so forth, who, I mean, Bernie Sanders was against illegal immigration back in the day because it was bad for workers. Right. And um, that was a, a radical left wing issue at the time. And, you know, Republicans and conservatives would would trumpet, no, this is good for business. We need these workers because we, we don't have enough employees, blah, 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 blah. 
But, you know, the dirty little secret was, yeah, there was people who would be willing to work. They just wouldn't work at third world wages. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a it there, there's a whole history there of, of how that political alliance was put together. But bottom line, the political alliance is broken. Uh, mm-hmm. None of the people who were uh, kind of bernie bros from the labor left are on the labor left anymore the labor left doesn't no, exist that's right um, and as the chamber of commerce um right doesn't exist so everything is in flux now so who's loyal to who and that's a well, big question and the real what you see emerging is this kind of regional um you see a, a group of states trying to reassert regional power as a means of gra- of, of kind of getting to a new settlement for how the U.S. is going to be governed. Because um, yeah. the, the reports that you hear, and these are the interesting, that there are a few people out there doing like documentary you know, news reports talking about how the situation on the ground in, you know, what is it, the 20 kilometers that run along the border, that just sort of that band, and how people's lives have changed and 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 so forth. So you get that 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 band of territory right along the border. And what you're seeing, I think, is that this issue is, especially for a Republican governor of a Republican state that lives along the border, and their constituents are saying, we've had enough. Yeah, they're screwed. Now you're looking at an issue that, is um, you very much go back to you know a kind of Schmittian politics of an ex you know friend enemy. So I have an existential danger to us. This is the we're no longer immigration is no longer an abstraction for us. This is a real reality affecting our lives on the ground in terms of our quality of life and shape. And something needs to be done. So real politics in that sense is breaking out because locally on the ground. Things have shifted from an abstraction, the immigrant, to well, and um, these people in my front yard shooting up my mailbox every day kind well, of Well, cr- critically, it's changed the incentive structure for governors of, of places like Florida and Texas. Exactly. Um, yes. Because they realize that they will not be go- governors of Florida and Texas anymore if they don't do something about this. Um, so you have once you've changed that incentive you have these people trying to respond and they're trying to respond with a kind of a minimalist reform profile facing the regime. So we, we've kind of characterized the political situation, what led to it. Now the question is what are the likely, what are the likely courses of action forward? So cryptos, what, what do you think uh, is, are, are some of the likely futures here? That, that are well, worth considering in in the in, in the near future you're going to see um the republican party sort of within the colored lines they're going to propagandize off of this right and that's sort of where you know you you get this coalition of of republican governors who are looking to propagandize off of this they know they're reading the tea leaves both the dissatisfaction in their own electorate um, plus, you know, the national stage. So they're looking maybe to weaken the federal government. And, and and this is all within the system of sort of the rules or whatever, to push back on the federal government, to gain more autonomy in their states. And then ultimately, I think, in terms of on the near term, practically, I think the hope is that they can shut the border and then things can go back to normal. They don't have to deal with things like deportation. We can just hey, if we just manage to somehow close the border, we can just get through this short-term phase and everything can kind of go back to normal. And we can probably, there's probably not enough new voters in the system, potential new voters in the system that I think we can, we can, we have an electoral path forward. And that to me is probably from a political side, the backroom guys are making the calculations. So then you really don't have to do enough other than to just stand here Defy the, the 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 federal government, close the border, and and that'll be enough. Now, the you know what, depending on what the Biden administration does, that may well, end up. What being are enough. the what are the actual choices available to the Biden administration? So they can seek yeah. a, a confrontation. We know from the messaging they probably don't want to do that. No. Um, so 
what I think you're more likely to see from them is Fox tactics. So they'll seek to create, you know, uh, an avalanche of whiny news headlines about the, the terrible oppressed migrants trying to cross razor wire with their babies or whatever. Uh, you know, there, there will be that. Um, but I think also then you begin to what's the other mechanism that the federal government has to to control and the Fox manner is the purse. So you're going to be since seeing them attacking funds that the federal government sends to yeah, but the, that's, Republican states. That's very difficult for them to do because um, the executive, the parts of the federal government that actually send money to red states are parts that that fund like left wing clients in red states. So it, well, there is truth. That, yes, that that there's truth to that as well. So you can't actually like. You, if you turn off the taps uh, of funds to red states, that actually makes them redder and stronger. That's so, you're right, though. Too that is a really good point. That they're really they really are caught between a rock no, and a hard they place. Can't, here. They, that's not a, a that's not a mechanism that's really available to them. It's true. Um, the the only the only thing they can do is they can like uh, they can divert migrant flow around. Uh, because they have control of other territories along the, the border and continue to seek uh, demographic replacement and play kind of a long game and they can play mm -hmm. a propaganda game. And I expect them to do both. Um, yes. But the other really, really important short-term uh, consequence of this is the uh, elevation of the importance in the minds of both uh, officials in red states and the popular conscious in red states of the kinetic capabilities of the state guards. Um, because yes. to this point, uh, the Biden administration is correct. There, there has existed no uh, comparable kinetic capability to what the federal government has. Like the FBI probably has more resources than any of the um, state guards. Um, and so they, they've had, this hammer that they've held over the states for, for a long time. And I think one of the long-term consequences of an event like this is a, a shift in the balance of kinetic power um, between those two entities. And I think you'll see like a big struggle uh, over the next 20 years about that, especially as the kind of American power decays abroad and there's a recruitment crisis and, and all of this other crap. Well, and that and that gets us because there there's a variance in the states in terms of the degree of control that they have over the the state national guard. Like some states have real teeth in it. I don't have the list on hand, but some of them are weaker and some of them are real teeth. And like you say, you can expect the federal government to be looking to entirely federalize the military. And then the states, then you'd have to have another line of like, where you hold the line and say, well, come take our guns from us in that regard, right? Yeah, so you're um, setting so up, you, a, uh, you, this confrontation sets up a cascade of potential future confrontations. Yes. And so you're going to have probably Fox style battles over the decentralization of kinetic power within the United States as a consequence of this now in that, that probably doesn't mean anything in the next 10 years, but in the long-term future, it, it means a lot. Well, and here would be the thing is, you know, would you potentially see state governors um, moving to increase funding for their own militaries? Well, and I then looking so, right. To, and then looking to also increase recruitment locally for their own myths. And I think a lot of guys on the ground, the people who actually wield guns, they understand this and they would understand what would be happening, what would be called upon to do it. That you joining the, the National Guard here, you're not joining up to serve America per se, you're but you're up here to, to protect Texas your state. Or Oklahoma, Missouri, or, or whatnot. That's exactly it. And, and so that's I, when you go like, ahead. I think that's a huge. If Ab, that's a huge likely consequence of this because Abbott has just realized he's got a political tool in in the guard, and probably some of the other governors as well have realized they've got a political tool at their disposal in the guard, and because really for the first time 
they've used it successfully as a positive political tool um suddenly like anything that's that's a useful political tool is going to get more money more resources more attention etc um well so, it was even interesting like i i threw out a tweet yesterday you know like um you know the biden administration says that you need f-15s to um to to define a thing and, and um you know, Governor Abbott is, is saying otherwise, right? But I got a whole bunch of responses saying like, hey, listen, here on the ground, you know, we've got a whole bunch of F-15 pilots in our in our church and, you know, they're all they're all supportive of Texas. You know, you, you can all of a sudden you begin to like think like, huh, you know, um, you know, well, real politics can actually happen. And these people do actually know where their loyalties lie, which is, is just um, it's interesting. Well, I mean, it, it's difficult, right? Um in order to shift things, you really need to be able to shift the command structures. So like mm -hmm. if, you, if you take the Canadian example, one of the immediate reactions after uh, the COVID crisis in Western Canada is, well, first and foremost, we're going to uh, confront the federal government about um, and hit them in the pocketbook because we provide them all this money. And second, we're, we're going to create a, a local police force and, uh, tell our equivalent of the FBI that they, that they need to go home and they're no longer responsible for policing all these communities. And the moment you kind of let out, out of the bag that there's political power in controlling the last mile of enforcement, suddenly all these regional players decide, suddenly they become interested in wielding that, that power again, because it matters. Whereas, you know, for the previous 40 years, there was no good that could come out of controlling that that political organ. Yes. So, in, in a sense, what you 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 have to see what you're saying is to like is that the the typical path of say you know you if you were smart you know you you went and you joined the FBI, joined the CIA, you joined the military, and you were looking to get you know a Pentagon job, right? Now you might be looking to say, well. Maybe we we as a state can take over the FBI functions here. Yep. Um, we as a state can begin to repatriate our own military structure. We don't need to send them off to the Pentagon. And then the people can begin to see, like, listen, I don't have to do the normal track. I can join the I can join the guard here, and then maybe even full time it. Like you, like your guard is like you. You actually have so some of them are full time, some of them are part time. But then you create career opportunities for people that says you can build an elite career here at home in the military, in policing, anything. Wow. And we can make we can bring we can repatriate these power structures into our own borders. And, and this state. is what I say. I think the long term positive outcome for this for the right is the opportunity to create um the opportunity to create elite structures that are loyal at the state level rather than loyal at the federal level. And because it, you've demonstrated the, the value of, of that. Uh, and and these are tr patronage networks that are amenable to your traditional um, Republican voting base. Cause you have to sort of think in terms of normie politics as well too, <laughs> here, right? So you're looking, you know, well, if you're Greg Abbott and you go in the, the pages of whatever local papers they have in Texas and you say, uh, look at all these great things the Texas Guard has done for you. Um, yes. We're going to divert resources to reinforce the Texas Guard. That's a great story. You'll win votes out of that. Yeah, they're there for disaster response. They're there for, um, there, there's a whole range of things that they do. And yeah, but highlighting this, you know, you, you have a career in the Texas National Guard yeah. and make that so a full time career. You've got like a great long term propaganda win uh, yes. out of this. And probably you set up a bunch of future favorable political confrontations. So I, I think there's some real prospects to that. I, I, I think that the framing of this in kind of con Inc media as not a constitutional crisis, but uh, kind of an extension of politics as normal makes it very unlikely that you see, uh, I think team nothing ever happens is going to, uh, chalk up another W on this. <laughs> One thing that's not that we haven't talked about yet is that it's good that it was Texas to push this issue and not anyone else, because like this might sound weird to the untrained ear, but Texas 
Texas doesn't need the United States as much as the United States needs Texas. It's yeah, just, if you go by right. state, it's the second largest economy only to California, although in exports, it beat California and New York combined, number two and three. Um, the population is 30 million people. So it's almost as big as Canada. If you isolate the GDP, it'd be like the eighth largest economy in the world. And uh, like there's te like Texas is one of the only candidates as in terms of firepower. It like there there are red states that would love to defy the federal government. If you've ever met an Idahoan, someone from North, yeah, Northern Idaho, yeah. Idahoans like have so much contempt for the federal government. It's unbelievable. And I'm shocked that they have as bad of a governor as they do. But in terms of firepower, Texas is the one that can pretty much tell the federal government kick rocks, and, and they're probably they're, the only one. The right? only, yeah, maybe maybe Florida in a couple ways, but Texas is the only absolutely hundred percent. Like, oh, you want us to do that? Nah, screw you, get out of here. Well, they're the only. And the other thing is resource that. independence. They have oil in the Gulf and on, yeah. you know. That, so there, there's there's well, also resource. They have independence. the kind of the kind. So like, if you if New York declared independence from the United States, never going to happen. But hypothetically. No. New York declared independence in the, from the United States, their economic productivity would crater overnight because their economic productivity is integrally tied to their political relationship with the rest of the jurisdiction. Because it's a financial capital. Yeah, it's That's basically right. like Hong Kong. Whereas Texas is kind of the opposite situation. A, a huge proportion of their economy is uh, the kind of economy that you could run that the kind of economy over which the federal government has basically no leverage. Well, and what's really interesting, so. if you look at, say, you know, hard power, the, the making and wielding of weapons, the vast majority of um, the weapons in the United States are made in these collection of red states that have joined Governor Abbott, right? Yeah, I mean, um, that that's a path he, like, <laughs> there there isn't the political leadership to take advantage of that uh, well, we're not there yet, but but, right. but if you're looking at like, because there, there was a lot, if you're looking at sort of, um, you know, regime media mouthpieces, the people that like to tweet ahead of and lay the groundwork for regime propaganda, they were, one of the messages, well, you know, good luck with Texas. If they go, they're going to be done. They're going to be cratered. And they're like, you're like, um, I don't know what kind of stuff you're smoking, but um, Texas will be fine if they, if, you know, if you were to cut them loose. Um, so they're trying to play that up that, you know, you need us more than we need you. Um, and that, I think, itself is a mistake as well, too, because, you know, once red states wake up to the fact that um, more of the hard economy rests in that manufacturing heartland um, and that the, the, the two coasts are largely financialized fake economy, um, that it creates an immense, tremendous amount of yeah, power. Yeah, I mean that's that's not actually true about the West Coast. That's true about New York. <laughs> yeah, the West Coast. The West Coast what? is different because the West Coast has like just Seattle by itself has like Boeing, Starbucks, Amazon, so consumer economy yeah. and like defense. So the West Coast would probably. I mean, there are parts of California that are not as well off, but like Washington but, State and the majority of California would probably, you know, be okay. Be fine. Yeah. Well, and not only that, California is the agricultural capital of the United States, which is something most people just yeah. They, I mean, they it's don't realize it. They yeah, manage it so badly, and they had they have all these droughts and agricultural crises every year, but they still keep putting out. Well, and it's also food. like uh, the stupidest place in the world to do farming. They they <laughs> ship in water from like miles and miles away from Arizona. Yes, I mean water from Arizona, like. Anyways, it's a it's very stupid that it's set up that way, but it is nevertheless the the largest producer of agricultural goods in the United States, and it's not very close. Um, so, uh, people who are kind of red state cheerleaders um, have a tendency to pretend that the only real economy in the United States is in red states, and and that's that's not factual. However, um, Texas and a number of red states are in this position where uh, they contribute real economic goods and the things they get back from the regime are, um, you know, money that flows into the patronage network of regime clients that are, that are living inside their borders and causing them trouble. So certainly from an incentives point of view, um, yes, these governors have pretty strong incentives to 
reduce their financial relationship with the federal government. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's the, the, that set of incentives is likely to drive long-term trends. Um, but I, I think team ne- nothing ever happens is definitely winning this engagement. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, the, the, the force, but who knows? Session... I mean, we said, we said that, that Abbott was probably going to back down and he didn't. So no, he didn't. Uh, no, you know, let's just, let's temper it a bit, but, uh, and this is, well, and, and the thing is, is, is like, still, to... this is still a win because like, even if the feds, because they've issued their ultimatum and if they issue an ultimatum and then don't back it up, guess what? That's a massive win. And that will be proof to everyone that, oh, we can take more state power in these specific ways, especially with the national guard. Like we talked about earlier. Well, that's, but that's if, right. And it's if the feds telegraphed. Yeah. It's telegraphed by the fact that it's nowhere in regime media that the feds are not going to do anything. Yeah, I just checked again while we were talking there. I just checked the headline. I just put in Texas border. Top result is from three days ago on CNN. And it's like Biden men, or Supreme Court tells Abbott to back down. So the most yeah, recent mean, news even, headline is from before the statement, which was now two days ago. Even on like normie right outlets like Daily Wire, this is not the top story. No, like if you go to like say something like an old school one, like Spectator American Spectator or National Review, you have to scroll down below the below the fold, so to speak, and then they're all basically taking the safe line. It's almost variations of Texas is correct to defend its sovereignty from the border. Things you know, constitutional law is on the Texas side of it, so they're all trying to defend the well, color within the lines type I- of response to it. I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal, which is kind of, yeah, <laughs> it's not even on regime uh, conservatism. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I haven't even like NFL headlines are higher than. <laughs> oh my word! Yeah. So, um, Jim Harbaugh goes to San. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh goes to uh, the Chargers. Yes. Yeah. So, More news than the than the Texas border. <laughs> so that I mean, it's telegraphed that that there is there's going to be no confrontation from the federal government no not Um, unless they can come up with a solution that allows them to get ahead of the messaging game they'll just try to ignore it this is why i say like they're gonna run fox tactics for the next six months to try to create a more favorable ground for a confrontation Um, well and if yeah and if we look at the the election part of the ignoring it point is that they will ignore this as long as they possible because they know that it's devastating for their electoral chances that the, the more that this is amped up the more that the ground shifts to Republicans. And I think, though, too, like this, the whole shape of our discussion here, um, you know, if if people are telling you that civil war is about to happen, you can just laugh at them because civil war is not about to happen. We are like 30 steps away from now. Things could escalate very far if, if the, the Biden administration decided to send in like F-15s and to bomb the border or whatever. Sure. But that isn't happening because they signaled that it isn't happening. That they're going to do nothing, and they're not going to even try. You know, they're going to stick their fingers in their ears and try to pretend it isn't happening. And so, hopefully, Abbott will use this to extend his control and power along the border, and um, the red states can continue to maintain the initiative on this fair. Because right now, we are still sort of within, as you mentioned, you know, sort of color within the lines phase. Everything is about constitutionality, the the legal wrangling. And, um, you know, we have constitutional, it's, it's a constitutionally legitimate thing that, that Abbott is doing. And then um, just allow him to extend his power and control along the border and take the wins progressively as you can and then make the regime do something. As long as the regime doesn't do something, you just, you know, you have to keep pressing this as long as the regime does nothing. Yeah. So I, I think we've got... Uh... Most of what what we've uh, what we wanted to yeah, hear is so. there anything we want to talk about before we close this up? I I wanted to hop in with one thing really quick, which is that sure. like we I mean lots of people have made this point like Lafayette Lee is always hammering down on how we need to be more local, but particularly like the only vestiges of power outside of Washington D.C. are state governments, and like the original when Alexander Hamilton was making the Federalist argument against the Anti-Federalists trying to get New York to join the Union. He made the point that actually the president that we've planned here is not even as powerful as your own governor. And he compares all the powers that the president would have under the first draft of the Constitution in comparison to all the powers that the current governor of New York had. And so governors have always had some 
degree of you know ability to because because the united states was originally designed as a confederation the governors have always had some independence and this is a move back towards really i mean really the original intent of how the american state was supposed to be organized so like yeah and we this should... is a heart, an excellent propaganda kind of justification for selling this in red america uh not only are they are state state governments the natural note of resistance from the point of view of you can actually do uh the kinds of things you need to resist the federal government from state governments but also there's this long tradition that you can kind of draw on that is semi-sacred to the group of people you're trying to get to follow you um especially people with money which is older people who are generally more conservative those people so, venerate the constitution well, and and you can also send the message then too, in framing it that way, that we can resist all of the, the craziness, you know, all of that woke DEI crazy, all the whole craziness of the left regime. We can resist this without necessarily threatening the union. Like, and, and I think that is also in the short term, a very important message that we have a lot. And what Abbott is showing, saying is that, you know, we can stand our ground and we can do so within the fines, confines of state sovereignty. And what we're actually doing is working to support and encourage a healthy union over the long term by devolving power back to the states. And so in, in terms of that, you create a, pos a positive message that also then diffuses the, you know, the quote unquote civil war, um, you know, messaging intentions that we are we're actually trying to save the union by by doing what we're doing as opposed to them constantly pushing us to the breaking point yeah all right uh well th thanks gentlemen um yeah thank i you think guys. this has been an interesting chat and and we'll go from here we'll go from here and i should post this one um later today enjoy again thank you for showing up and uh we'll talk to you Thank you.